You are listening to the Two Witnesses Podcast, where Michael and Caleb actually enjoy history with an occasional VeggieTales reference or two, and they show you that God's Word is much more interesting than Marvel Bros. Episode 17 of the Two Witnesses Podcast. I'm Michael. And I'm Caleb. What have you been up to this week? Uh, not much, Mike. Uh, so last week, I actually, um, I got called from uh, one, two, three, four, six different people. Well, no, five people and six had already, the six that had already mentioned me working for them. Um, in the same week about going back to work. Which is really weird, because, because now I've got all these jobs, and before I had nothing to do, now I'm way too busy. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I've got work tomorrow and Friday. Cool. Um, and yeah, what about you, Mike? Not much. Nice. Oh yeah, guys, so uh, church is open this Sunday. What do you think of that, Michael? Gonna be good to go back. Yes, it is, dude. I am so excited. Um, yeah, I'm. I I have waited seven weeks for this. I counted. <laughs> you counted. I counted. It's been seven weeks since church, so I'm incredibly excited to have that back. Yeah. And I get to stay for all three services because I'm on the worship team. <laughs> and Mike would, but he he's not on the worship team this week. Yes, I am actually. You are. Christian told me I didn't have to be there last night. That I could just come Sunday. Oh, sweet. Okay. Cool. Yeah, so, so Mike gets to say for three services too. Mm-hmm. I get to hear the same sermon twice. <laughs> yeah, three times. Well, we can leave before oh, yeah, the third true. sermon. True. But at least twice. <laughs> well, we probably don't have to stay inside for the second one. <laughs> we can go hang out outside or something. Yeah, probably. Yeah. It's gotta be back by eleven. Yeah. So yeah, that's what's up. We, um, we we could go outside and do our own like mini Sunday school or something. Yeah. Just yeah. the worship team? Mm-hmm. That would be cool. Yeah. Yeah, that would be, actually. That might be a good idea. Much to that to Christian. Yeah. Yeah. We will need to do that. Yes. Um, but, um, so I guess church opening is uh, the first, like, it just, the plan of, I don't know, they have some weird plan of what reopens when, so I guess mm-hmm. it started, so at least stuff is coming back now. Yeah. And we don't have to be hermits. Yeah. In a shell uh, that is our empty house, because you're home alone all day with nothing to do. <laughs> For those of you who aren't aware, what they've got set up is it's a three-phase plan. Um, so basically, we're entering phase one, and then if they don't see a rise in the number of uh, COVID-19 cases over two weeks, over a two-week period... Then we'll move into phase two, and more things will open. Uh, and then again, is there set like types of things that are going to open yes. the second week? The second, yes. like what? Okay, so like phase one, you have uh, restaurants. Uh, restaurants are opening first, really. So restaurants, sports okay. stadiums, and churches okay. can open. 
Uh, Jim's... Large crowds. They're opening up large crowds first. Yes. All but... right. That makes sense. Yeah. But all of those places have to operate under social distancing rules. Oh, okay. okay. Very strict social distancing rules. So, like... Our church isn't, though. Well, it's kind of. Well, like, a little they're... bit. Okay, so real quick. I checked the church guidelines. So basically what's happening for our church is there's going to be three services. They ask that you only come to one. Lucky for Michael Michael and I, we get to spend a good four hours at church. So, <laughs> sorry, chumps. Um... But, uh, and then you, um, there's, there's asking elderly with underlying conditions to stay home if they don't feel comfortable with coming. Um, they're asking the sick to stay home. Doesn't care if they don't feel comfortable with coming. (laughs) Um, and, uh, they can watch it online and stuff, but, um, those of us who do get to go, they're not, uh, they're not going to make us, um, wear masks or anything. They said it was fine. If you, if you want to wear a mask, then that's okay, but... We're not going to require you to. But other than that, it's going to be like normal church, I think. Other than, They probably won't let us greet each other. But a set greeting time. But we know that they can't stop us from actually saying hi to each other and stuff. And Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyways, there's that. And then, um, so you're talking about phase two? Yeah. So yeah. so phase one, like I said, they've got large stadiums, churches, uh, gyms, and restaurants can all be open. Okay. Uh, they have to operate under social distancing rules, but they can be open. And I think one of the reasons they're opening those up first is just because, like, it's a large area, and so you can have people there and have still have space in between them, you know? Yeah. Um, and then people are asked not to gather in groups of more than 10. Phase two... So it's basically reverse of what happened right. two months ago. Right. Okay. Uh, fade in, or fade out, fade in. Yeah. Phase yeah. two... Uh, oh, so phase one bars cannot be open. Bars have to stay closed. Okay. Uh, phase two, bars can open. Uh, all of the places that were open have less strict social distancing rules. Okay. Uh, you're asked not to gather in groups of more than 50. Uh, Hold on a sec. Hmm. That swing dance thing. I could, If phase two happens, less than 50, we'd have maybe 40 people tops. Maybe. Okay. We'll see. I mean, so that is but, something... There's just a, uh, this is a, um, a disclaimer. There's going to be, I'm planning something big for our friends. So that will be coming up soon when this is all, um, almost over. Not, not, not any time within the next three weeks, but. Yeah. But the thing with like the phase two thing is, you know, you're still still supposed to be social distancing. So. Yeah. So can't. Can't dance. Don't say that. They can't know. All right. You already said it. Yeah. Maybe I did, but they don't have to know that. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Only you picked up on that. Um, then, uh, phase three, um, basically like everything can be open and minimal social distancing rules, although it, there's still supposed to be some, and you're asked not to gather in groups of more than 200, I think it is. Okay. Is there, wait, did, I'm sorry. Did you say there still is social distancing rules at that time? Yes. Um, okay. It is starting to rain. Okay. And we're back. All right. Uh, we are sorry about that, guys. Um, we were just outside recording because it's a really nice day out. And obviously, you could tell what happened from there. Uh, Michael's computer crashed, but uh, we got it to fix. So, um, I, Mike, we were talking about phase three. Uh, 
You said they were in two-week increments? Uh, two weeks of not having the number of reported cases go up. Yeah. Um, so when I read the stipulations, I didn't see anything that said that if we had more cases, we would go backwards. Okay, we would just stay the same for a while until it right. we stops would just, going up? Right. Okay. We would just stay at the same phase until the, um, the number of cases starts going down. Awesome. At least that was what it looked like when I was reading it. Okay. How long ago did you read that? Uh, so first off, these the phase plan comes directly from the president. Yeah. Secondly, I read it day before yesterday. Hallelujah! God is good. Oh my gosh, guys. We are going to get our lives back and Satan can no longer trap us in our homes. This is glorious. Amen. And I'm not calling the government Satan because they had a stay-at-home order. I'm, I'm saying, like, you guys know what I mean, all right? And if you don't know what I there, mean, there's... contact us because I will answer and clarify what I just said. There are spiritual entities behind the actions of governments. Yeah. No, not, yeah, kind of. I mean, just like, like, we don't have to stay in our homes anymore. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean... We were talking just the other day about how, you know, there are spiritual entities in charge of the nations. Yeah. You know, um, Deuteronomy 32. Yep. Either way, we are not going to be stuck in our homes. Yes. Continually. Glorious. It's glorious. All right, Mike. You got anything else you want to say? No. All right. Let's jump into Job chapter 2, verse 2. Shall you open us in prayer? Shall I open us in prayer? Yes, I shall. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for this day. Um, we thank you for this time that you've given Michael and I to um, spend with you, Father, and spend with our viewers uh, going through your word. I pray that you please open our eyes to what is in your word, God, and how we can apply Job's story to our lives right now, especially this coronavirus, God. Um, Father, I just pray that you help us uh, be innovative and um, just fill our head with our idea ideas, yeah, ideas right now during this time, God. And I just pray that you please help us pique the interest of our viewers and help them delve more and deeper into the Word of God. Lord, we just love you so much, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, last episode, we got through... Uh... How many verses was it? One. One. Yes. <laughs> I bet that's a record Lucky for for one. our pot for our podcast. It is. Yes, it is. Longest time spent on one verse. Mm -hmm. All right. So, would you like to read, or do you want me to read? Um, I can read. Okay, sounds good. All right. So, you think we should just like start with verse one yes. again? Yes. All right. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. All right, stop. What? What do you think sons of God means, Michael? We've been there. <laughs> We've what? Been there. We have? Oh, yeah! Episode 16. Go check it out, guys. All right, continue. <laughs> uh, and the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and, it's, and said, from going to and fro on the earth, and walking from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, 
Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Once again, God is the one who brings out Job. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's funny, you know, like, God is kind of like, you know, he's still holding fast to his, you know, look, you're losing your bet, buddy. I taunt him, dude. Yeah. 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 Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. So basically he's saying, you know, you can take away everything a man has, but, you know. As long as he still lives, he yeah. won't yeah. hate you. Yeah. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. Hmm. Let me see. I think you said the same thing last chapter, Satan. Yep. <laughs> you were wrong then. You lost the bet. How much do you, how much do you think he lost? I don't know. <laughs> A Millennium Falcon, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. His That's, wings? Yeah, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Uh, His Falcon wings. All right. Uh, verse 6. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. So, once again, Satan has to get permission from God before he can touch Job. Yes, he does. All right. Continue. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Ouch. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while yeah. he sat in the ashes. It's nasty. Yeah. Yeah, actually... um. I think it might be the Septuagint. I don't have my copy of the Septuagint with me right now, which is sad. Um, I forgot to grab it on my way here. But I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, the Septuagint actually says trash heap. Instead of ashes? Instead of ashes. That's nasty. Yeah. All right, man. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die! Die! Sorry, I had to. Continue. (laughs) But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came, each from his own place, Eliphaz the Tamanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. They made an appointment together to come show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. All right. That was a deep section. It's really, really into it. All right, let's go back to verse 2, because we already covered verse 1 in the last episode. Go check it out. It's pretty dang good. Um... And the Lord said to Satan, From where did you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. Elaborate. Unless you don't have anything. Nothing? <laughs> Nothing? Not really. All right. Well, I think what we can get out of this is Satan roams on this earth. He's not in some faraway throne just sending his demons. Satan is on the earth right now. Walking yeah. back and forth on it. So verse 3, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, who f- one who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause? Alright, 
that phrase at the end, to destroy him without cause. I was reading this section earlier. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the times when we go through suffering and stuff, and I, I think everybody... Like, when we think of the word suffering in the Bible, they always think of it as, like, a family dying or something like that. And I think there's much smaller amounts of suffering that we can go to. It's still suffering. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, I could be super stressed out about my schoolwork. And that could be Satan trying to mess with my mind so that I'm less prepared when he attacks with temptation stuff mm-hmm. like that. So that could be suffering. And I think a lot of the times when we get stuff like that, we're like, okay, God, but I was trying to obey you, I was denying myself, and I was I was denying these temptations Satan's been throwing my way, and that my flesh wants. And, um, so why, why am I, why am I suffering this? Why are you letting Satan get in my head? Why is this happening? I'm trying to do everything. And we, we think that we did something wrong at that point, so then we discourage ourselves, and mm-hmm. we're just building all this crap up in our minds that God's not even, you're not even letting God be a part of it at that point. If you let God be a part of it, you'd realize that right here where it says to destroy him without cause, God himself is saying that Job did absolutely nothing wrong, yet he's still suffering. Right. And right. so you may have done absolutely nothing wrong, but you suffer so that God can bring you into a greater place than you were previously before you started suffering. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's kind of the whole point of the book of Job. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's what yeah. I was leading yeah. it to. Yeah, that like I mean that could almost be a theme verse for the whole book. Yes. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. uh, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause or without reason. Mm-hmm. You know? Um and and you will see like as we get further into the book, Job's three friends are of the opinion that he must have done something wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think those represents some like a voice in your head it could be physical friends telling you this stuff but i think his friends can represent a voice in your head because your vo- your head could be you could be thinking yourself okay i i, I did this wrong or i i um, must have done i must have wrong. done something wrong or god's god's chastening me for doing something wrong so you wanted to go into um job's wife yes she gets a bad rap in the church most times mm-hmm. i mean Oh, maybe verse 8 real quick. I don't okay. Think okay. Um, verse 8. And he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. So basically, that's like a broken piece of... of uh, clay pot. Clay, like a clay pot. Mm-hmm. It's just nasty. And the way my, my uh, notes put it in my Bible is... Um, uh, Job may may use a piece of broken pottery to relieve itching or to break open the sores. That just sounds nasty, dude. Yeah. He's just he's not in a good place right now. He's no. sitting in ashes. Just d- hasn't done anything for weeks. Hasn't seen his family because his family's all dead. And he's just in pain, busting open all these sores on his body. That's just so gross, dude. That's just yeah. And, yeah. and like I said earlier when we were reading through. Uh, it's possible that he wasn't just sitting on ashes. He was actually, like, sitting in the dump. Yeah. Yeah. It should be horrible. Yeah. 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 Um, but the thing he does have with him is his faithful wife, quotations around that. Yeah. Um, People so, question why she was left alive. Yes. Um, one reason, like, one reason I've heard, which kind of makes sense to me, is that God told Satan to spare Job's life, mm-hmm. and... Since a husband and wife are one flesh, yeah, then yeah, that's a good point. Uh, 
Well, it never said if she got boils or not. She could have gotten boils too. Uh, the Septuagint. I feel like I wish I had it with me. Okay. I feel like there's a there's actually an additional section which is in the Septuagint talking about what's going on with his wife. Okay. Um, it might be in this chapter or it might be in a later chapter. I do not remember. Mm-hmm. Um, next episode we do. If I remember to have my copy of the Septuagint with me, I will. We might go back and look at that. People think that, you know, she's like. She's being this horrible, uh, horrible person to him, and and like to me, you know, one of the ways that I always read it or thought it could be read, and and this is actually like it's not super common, but people do believe this that it could be this is that she's actually like she's hurting for him, yeah. Like you know, it's like she cares so much about him, and he's. You know they've they've lost their kids, they've lost their servants, they've lost everything. He's sick, he's covered in boils, he's in pain, he's sitting on a trash heap, and she's like, just, just like curse God and have him kill you already, you know, so then you won't have to suffer through this anymore. Mm-hmm. I've always read it like that. Yeah, and or the other way to look at it is his wife is what Satan is trying to get Job to be. Mm-hmm. Um. He's trying to get him to be pissed at God and everything, um, and and the um, the way that he responds to her, Job responds to her, is you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall not accept adversity? Um, I think the way he responds to to her kind of reveals that that maybe when everything left, she is very very mad at God because she no longer gets to enjoy the pleasures of her life. And God took away all the good, and she was only for God because she had good things in her life. Mm-hmm. And now she is completely against mm-hmm. God because it says curse God and die. Why would, why would, she be telling him to curse God? Why would she just tell him, it's okay, you can go, or something like that? If she was looking at him like passionately, like like I care about you. Um. Well, I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, um, and I agree with you. But, That's just another way to look at it. Yeah, but. and and like what you said, you know, like why wouldn't she say, you know, something like it's okay, you can go, um, because I don't think she wants him to commit suicide. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so but the, I, I just the, don't know why the curse God is in there. Because that, because basically what she's saying is curse God so that then he will kill you. Oh, okay. Yeah, Instead of sense. just leaving you to suffer, mm-hmm. um, and 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 even if she is like in that mindset of you know I want to curse God, I'm mad at God. Yeah. Like you can see the um, the biblical hierarchy there because Job is the one who has the decision of the two of them, like what's going to happen as far as that's concerned. You know, she she isn't the one who gets to do that. Oh, you know what? I have an idea. Huh. Okay, so I just read our sermon notes. Um. She instructs Job to curse God. I mean, not sermon notes. Sorry, my notes. Study notes. My, my study notes. She instru- she instructs Job to curse God, perhaps thinking it will lead to God, to lead God to kill Job and end his misery. The Hebrew word here, barak, often translated here as curse, actually means bless. Since Job's previous praise of God, uh, in verse one twenty one was not rewarded with blessing, but with physical suffering. Job's wife may be sarcastically advising Job to bless God, again, thinking this time it will, re- it will result in Job's death. 
Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, Barak. So, so you can look at it either way. If it, if she's actually saying curse God, she could be against God and like just was only for God when good things mm-hmm. were happening to her. Or she could be saying or, curse God, trying to get him to end his misery. Yeah, or that one. Or it could be bless God, and she's still for God, but she wants her husband to die because she doesn't. She thinks his death would be. Uh, not as bad as his suffering right now. Right. So, um, and which, which actually that that that's a good way to put it. Oftentimes, God, or I, I think God can allow you in your lifetime to go through suffering so bad that you want to die. Right. Like it, it. But but. Well, I mean, we'll we'll see in like the next chapter. Yeah. That Job wants to die. Yeah, he he wants to die, and he'll allow you to go through stuff that's that's that bad, but. He always brings you back. The word translated curse, yeah. it's actually fairly consistently throughout. See, because basically um, it's the same word for blessing and for cursing. Yes. It's just like the context determines whether it's like basically a positive thing or a negative thing. Yeah. Um, so there are often uh, passages in the Bible where someone will be told to, in our translation, it'll say curse someone, and then you'll see their curse, but in actuality, the word was bless, mm. but then it's a negative blessing, Yeah. Uh, which in our English means that it's a curse. Yeah. Okay, so now we come to Job's three friends. Yes. Now, I feel like I read the passage from the Septuagint no, I did not. Okay, uh, we will get to that eventually. But uh, in the Septuagint, uh, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar are all actually kings, uh, and Job is also a king. Oh. Uh, so these are four kings, actually. <clears throat> well, that would explain why he has so much land. Right. Right. Uh, also, uh, when when they when they show up, they do some weird stuff. Uh, they tear their robes, put dust on their heads, and then they sit there and don't talk. Okay. So, the first two are, as I've said before, they're signs of mourning, of grief. Yeah. Tearing your robes, putting dust or ashes on your head. Um, and then, the sitting with him and not talking, that was another tradition that people back then had that if someone was in grief or mourning or some kind of suffering, you did not talk until they talked. Yeah. Like, you sat there and you were silent out of respect for them. You didn't <clears throat> talk until until they talked first. Mm-hmm. And so they sit there for seven days, and then Job finally says something. And what he says can be condensed down to, I wish I had never been born. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we dive into chapter three then? Yeah. All right, amigo. Your turn. <clears throat> it is my turn. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job spoke and said, May the day perish on which I was born. Um, on which I was born. And the night in which it was said, A male child is conceived. May that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor the light shine upon it. May darkness and the shadow of death claim it. Make a cloud settle on it. Make the blackness of the day, or may the may the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, may darkness seize it. May it not rejoice among the days of the year. May it not come into the number of the months. Oh, may that night be barren. 
may no joyful shout come into it. <clears throat> um, may those curse it who curse the day, those who are ready to arouse the Leviathan. May the stars of its morning be dark. May it look for light, but have none, and not see the dawning of the day, because it did not shut up the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide sorrow from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? Incoming. Why did the knees receive me? Oh, why the breasts that I should nurse? Warned you. Now I would, I would have lain still and been quiet. I would have been asleep. Then I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who built ruins for themselves. Or with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not hidden like a stillborn child, like infants who never saw light? There the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners rest together. They do not hear the voice of the oppressor. The small and great are there, and the servant is free from his master. <clears throat> One thing that I find interesting, so first off, uh, verse 14, uh, I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who rebuild <clears throat> ruins for themselves. This is a little bit of an indication that you know, he is a king. He is a king because he would have been with kings and counselors. Yeah. And and although he does mention further down, you know, wicked, weary prisoners, uh, and small, great slave, etc. Yeah. Uh, it's with kings and counselors that he specifically mentions. Yeah. Also, something else that should be talked about. Um, there was one of the traditions back then. Uh, in that day, with uh, kings of the Middle East, uh, when you looked at some of their ancient kings lists, it was said that those, it was believed that um, basically there would be rituals where you would summon the dead kings. Okay. Okay. Um, and these dead kings were known as the Rephaim. Alright. Okay. Spirits of the dead. We will see them later in places like Isaiah. Okay. But here's... So ghosts. Okay. Hang on. Here's the thing, though. Do you want to know what, according to Second Temple Jewish tradition, what the Rephaim are? What? The Rephaim are the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim, the giants. Okay. Do you know what the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim are? What? Demons. Okay. Wait, hold on a sec. But weren't they sent to Tartarus? No. We went that over was, that in a previous episode. That was episode. the angels who sinned. Oh, okay. The Nephilim are the children of the angels who sinned. And when they were killed in the flood, their spirits became what we know as demons. Okay. Wait, but, 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 or at aren't, least... aren't well, some of them, though, you mean? Mm -hmm. Not all of them. Because, the, because there's ones that directly fell from heaven with Satan. Well, see, that's, so it depends, I mean, like, yeah, we have this conception nowadays in, in the Western culture that fallen angels and demons are the same thing. Back in Jesus' day, during the Second Temple period, they were conceived as two separate types of being. Like, they're both spiritual beings, but they're two separate kinds of beings. One of the differences being that Rephaim, de demons, do not have bodies. Angels have bodies. 
they have spiritual bodies and they can make themselves physical to interact with the physical world. We see this in places like where the the angels come to visit Abraham and then Lot. They okay. have physical bodies. <clears throat> Whereas demons do not, and so they possess people in order to interact with the physical world. And and so uh, that was the, the, the Jewish conception back in Jesus' day of what those creatures were over the... And in fact, that was actually the, the early church's view up until... Uh, Days of Augustine, I think it was. Yeah. Um, and and then he start he became very influential in the church, and he began kind of promoting some different viewpoints on it, uh, which have carried through to this day. Which is, by the way, um, where we get what's known as the Sethite view of uh, Genesis chapter six. All right. Where it's the the sons <clears throat> of Seth. Yeah. That comes from Augustine. Okay. Uh, I don't like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, like, he had reasons for doing it. I know, I know. Um, one of the reasons that he did that was because he came out of... When, when he was saved, when he became a Christian, uh, he was part of a culture that... He was part of the, a culture that was very much for the the Enochian view of Genesis, chapter 6. And, and they I think they added some other things to it. And so for him, it was like he was going, okay, you guys are wrong on this. So in order to combat that view, I'm going to like take this opposite position on like everything that you that that you view. Um, but it would be like if we were trying to like if someone came out of Catholicism and they opposed the entire concept of the Lord's Supper because of uh, the Catholic views of transubstantiation, which is, for those of you who don't know, uh, that is where Catholics say that when the priest blesses the bread and the wine, it actually becomes Christ's flesh and blood. So basically it would be like if someone came out of Catholicism and started teaching that you shouldn't do the Lord's Supper at all because they disagree with that one particular point. And so instead of trying to attack that single point they're like, let's just get rid of the whole concept. Yeah. Um, so he, like, he had his reasons. I disagree with him, but he had his reasons for doing it. Yeah. Um, but again, and that was kind of where our concept of the the demons came from up until that point. Because once you got rid of the Nephilim, then you couldn't have these, you know, that you couldn't say that the demons were the... Uh, disembodied spirits of the giants if the giants never happened yeah so and then of course that became the dominant view in western christianity and eventually we just we lost that context um so oftentimes when you see things like like this verse here in 14 uh you also see it in uh in some of the passages that talk about satan's fall where it says that the kings of the earth rise up to meet you or something like that. And that's talking again about the Rephaim. So he wishes that, so Job of course wishes that he had been stillborn, born dead, and curses the day on which he, he basically wishes that 
that his birthday was just like erased from the calendar. Yeah. You know, they'll be like having it go, you know, March 1st, 2nd, 4th. His birthday was the 3rd. Like, just totally skip that day. It doesn't exist. Never happened. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. He, he's feeling pretty down right now. Yes. I mean, I really don't think you can blame the guy. <laughs> I mean, he, he's had some awful things happen to him. Mm. And... Uh, okay, so we're on verse 20. Yeah, but so so he kind of talks about a little bit about Sheol, about the the realm of the dead. There in uh, the la- last three verses we read, the wicked cease from troubling, the weary are at rest, prisoners are at ease together, and the small and the great are there. Basically, he's saying that everybody goes there. Okay. Which was you know their concept of the underworld at that point was that. It was everyone went there. Yeah. Small and great. Wait, like so there was no heaven or hell. It was just one place. There was the realm of the dead. Okay. They looked forward, and you can see this in a lot of the Psalms and later in Job. They look forward to a future resurrection, but they do not have the same concept that we have of going to heaven or to hell. Okay. There was one place where everybody went. So how did we get our conception of heaven and hell? Is it just based on nothing or is that the truth and they had it well, wrong? Or they didn't they didn't necessarily have it wrong. Yeah. Because remember that this was before Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and <clears throat> so first off a lot of our uh viewpoint of hell itself uh partly comes from the book of Enoch. Okay. Um and but most of okay so let me rephrase that all right so our view on heaven and hell comes out of the new testament yeah uh where we have that further revelation from jesus christ and there the way that they talk about hell like the lake of fire uh, actually developed out of uh, the book of enoch okay um so for example, you know, in Revelation, it talks about the lake of fire that's been prepared for for the devil and his angels. And if you go into the book of Enoch, uh, there is a section where Enoch is shown a burning lake, which is the prison for the fallen angels. Yeah. Well, I mean, even if they didn't believe it at the time, if you go through the Old Testament, I think you can find it in there, too. They just got it clarified for them in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. um, Because there's examples like in Daniel, the fiery furnace Mm -hmm. that they were thrown into. Mm -hmm. That's, you would, would you agree with me? That's an example, that's like a representation of hell? Um, I think you could look at it that way. I don't think that, uh people at the time necessarily would have looked at it in that way. No, 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 that's, but, that's my point. Yeah, but yeah. I'm saying like, for our purposes. Yeah, like, looking backwards, yes. Yeah. Okay, um, which is why they still believe Sheol, like the underworld. And then you can look at, like, the example of Ahab. He sacrifices children in... Is it Ahab or Ahaz? King Ahab. Uh, I do We've not talked know. about this before. He, sacrif- he was sacrificing... Oh, oh, um, um, oh. Gehenna. Yeah, that's yeah. Yes. There you go. Uh, the Tophets. Okay, so what? That's what I that, mean. What that is? Okay, so they. 
what it was is uh, you would, after you had pat, I think, I'm, I might get this first bit wrong, okay, but I think it was, it was either after you'd passed your children through the fire to Molech or part of that ceremony, the children, the dead children would end up in this place called a Tophet. Okay. And one of those places was the Valley of Gehenna, which uh, later Jews used as a, it was a, well, it was the garbage dump of Jerusalem. And it was constantly burning. They lit it on fire and then they just threw their trash in there and there was always something for it to burn. So it was just constantly burning. And when Jesus was teaching, he would often use that as a picture or as a representation of hell. Like he could, he could basically go, okay, see this, this is what hell is going to look like. Yeah. And, but one of the things that I think is either the people back in this day, like Job did not have a complete picture of what the underworld was, the, the realm of the dead was look, was like, you know, heaven, hell, or this is what I personally think. Sheol functioned as a holding place, a place where everyone who died went. All of the spirits of the dead went to Sheol. Then Jesus died, and he brought the inhabitants of Sheol to heaven with him, the, the righteous inhabitants of Sheol to heaven. And now Sheol functions as a holding place for the unrighteous dead until the day of judgment when they will be cast into the lake of fire. That makes sense. Okay. Um, so how do we know they were righteous before Jesus came? Because, so actually I was listening to a thing on this yesterday, yesterday or today. Um, and basically, so the way we are saved has not been changed really. Yeah. Okay. So, Prior to it's, Jesus, it's through the law, but Jesus fulfilled well, the law. No, no, it's through faith. Well, I mean, I mean it's through the yeah, okay. I hang mean, on, hang on, hang on. All right, let me let me explain. All right, so prior to Jesus, you had to believe that Yahweh was God of gods. He was the supreme God, the only one worthy of worship, and you had to be loyal to Him. Okay. Yeah, I took okay. it in a different direction. Okay. I was, that, that I, I was leading to faith, but I that's yeah. okay. That was like even without the law, even prior to the law, for example. Abraham was prior to the law. Yeah. Noah was prior to the law. Enoch was prior to the law. You had to believe that Yahweh was the only God to be worshipped, and you had to follow him. You couldn't go after other gods. Those were the conditions for salvation. Today, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God, and you are loyal to him. You follow him. You know, you don't go after other gods. Yeah. Thanks to his death on the cross, that's how we are forgiven now, you know. But prior to that, you had to believe. It's so the things you have to do have not changed. And I'm, I'm saying that badly because it sounds like you actually have to do something. Yeah. You know, but like the the conditions you have to fulfill are have not changed. The method by which you are made righteous is has been changed because now your sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. Yeah. But the before they were covered by sacrifice. lamb sacrifices 
so that later down they were just covered though they weren't washed away so that later down the road when the true lamb was sacrificed they could wash away the previous sins they were covered by by the sacrifice of animals and which would allow them to be righteous in their lifetime right and then and then jesus died on the cross washed away their sins now that their sins are no longer chaining them down they could go to heaven with jesus right okay i get it yeah basically and and the thing that again allowed them to be considered righteous was the fact that they believed you know and then in addition to believing they they were loyal to yahweh they did what he told them to as best they could and then you know so it's always a matter of the heart you know you come down to it it's always a matter of the heart yeah and and like we get a picture of this uh jesus talks about this i forget where exactly but in the gospels he talks about a place uh, he gives the parable of Lazarus and the Lazarus and the rich man. I think that's in Luke. I think that's the only one it's in. Is Luke? Yeah, it, but, it's Luke. Uh, but yeah, it's, anyway, it's in Luke. It's he in talks Luke. about uh, the rich man is like he uses the the Greek word Hades, I think, but he's in Sheol, and Lazarus in is Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom which was that section of shale set aside for the righteous. And then Jesus goes down and he takes the righteous with him to heaven. And then, like I said, now Sheol is just a holding place where the unrighteous dead go while we wait for the day of judgment. And then they will be cast into the lake of fire with Satan and his angels. All right, we should probably finish up this section real quick. Yeah. We're in verse 20 to the end, 26. All right. Why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter of soul? Who long long for death, but it does not come, and search for it more than hidden treasure? Who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave? Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For my sighing comes before I eat. And my groanings pour out like water. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. Chapter 1, verse 10. Have you not put a hedge around him oh, in his yeah, house? Oh, yeah, yeah. And there, he's saying that's a hedge of protection, and Job is seeing now it. now has... No, he's not seeing it, because he no longer has the hedge of protection. Now Satan's given him the opposite kind of hedge, mm-hmm. which is a hedge of misery. And suffering. He's hedged in right. so suffering all around him. Yeah. But I I just find it interesting that he uses that same phraseology and like he's seeing it as a bad thing. Yeah. You know? I mean because he could have said that before God took away that hedge of protection, you know? And he could have seen that as a bad thing. You know, like the thing I'm just thinking about is like he Sometimes we can see something that is done for our protection by God as being a bad thing, you know? Like, we can we can sense sometimes, like, something that God has done, and we think it's a bad thing, but he's actually doing it for our own protection, for our own good, and we just can't see that, you know? I'm sure I could come up with a good analogy, but I can't think of one right now. That's all right. So... Now we're going to get into a section that most people, when they're reading through Job, are probably going to find very confusing and or boring. Yeah. 
I've always stopped in chapter four. <laughs> Literally, I read through and I'm like, oh, this is a good story. And then I go to chapter four and I'm like, oh. I think I've gotten as far as to chapter seven. Mm-hmm. And then I just. Yeah, unless you're else. unless you're like jumping to a specific chapter, like you know, over in oh, I don't know, maybe thirty-eight. Wait, let's see, thirty forty-one. Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook? Yeah, you know, you might jump into a chapter like that, mm-hmm. you know, but it's you know, it's another one of those books like Leviticus, you know. But we'll get there eventually too. Yeah. And we will see if we can't make Leviticus interesting. Yeah. That's gonna be a challenge. Yes, absolutely. But, but it oh, has just... been it has been done. Okay. Uh, I I just got done listening to a series on Leviticus that actually made Leviticus like legitimately interesting. Okay. At least to me. Yeah. But then I'm like a languages geek, so mm-hmm. there might be aspects in there that would not be interesting to other people, but it was very interesting. Um actually tie some of the stuff in Leviticus into eschatology, which is end time stuff. Okay. So, you know, I'm the, I know you'll be interested in that. Okay. When cool. we get there, if I can remember it yep. at that point. All right. So we're going to be wrapping up this podcast, but there's a couple announcements we want to make. Uh, one, we forgot to mention it before. So basically we're going to be taking the podcast in, uh, 14 episode seasons, 14 episode seasons. So, so the this next... is season two. Season two, episode three. Yep. But I'm still going to number it as episode 17. Yeah. And number them that way just because then it's easier to see them in order and I don't have to figure out some way to number the seasons. It's just easier to just keep going with episode 16, episode 17. So they're going to continue to be numbered that way. But every 14 episodes, we're going to hit a new season. Yeah, and every new season, we're going to change up the uh, intro-outro music a little bit. We might make a few different changes, like um, how long podcasts are, splitting them in halves, how much we produce per week, stuff like that. I don't know. We haven't talked about that yet. Yeah. But... but we're going to try and at least change something in between seasons just to keep it kind of fresh. Yep. You know, And I think we'll try and save any changes we want to make until we come to the end of a season, yep. just so it stays consistent during a season. Uh but yeah, so so that's gonna be happening. Uh, and anyway, next time, Eliphaz. Yep. Chapter four. We begin the speeches. Wonderful. Yes. All right, you wanna pray? Lord, thank you for this time we've been able to spend in your word. Um, as we go forward into Job, Lord, help us to. Give us wisdom. Show us how we can take something that most people today, especially kids, people our age, you know, are going to find boring or uninteresting stuff. They're going to just like skim through if they read it at all and go into the more interesting stuff in their Bible, the more fun stuff. Help us to take something like that and and make it interesting. Make it something that they actually enjoy not just so that they're entertained or so they can have fun but because that enjoyment will help them get more into your word and and get more out of it and and 
that there is something to learn from it. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the time we've been able to spend in it. Thank you for our friends. Thank you that church and other activities are going to be starting up again soon in the near future. Thank you that we're going to be able to have fellowship again. That we're going to be able to see these people and help us to, to treasure that more now. We've been deprived of fellowship for so long. Help us to us to realize, although I think many of us are going to realize that without your help, but help us to truly realize how valuable that is, how much we need fellowship, not just over the internet or with phone calls or whatever, but how much we need face-to-face -face fellowship, time with other believers. Thank you for listening to our podcast and you know i hope you guys got something out of it so i pray god use this somehow yes you know we are just we're fallible humans you know we're gonna make mistakes that's a guarantee but god can use it his word will not return void so anyway Thank you for listening to the podcast. And until next time, I'm Michael. I'm Caleb. And this has been the Two Witnesses. No one will see if you stop believing.